Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 6. I've entitled this Going Through a Miracle. Since I've entitled it that, I probably would have changed it. A number of things I could have entitled this, Going Through Life, perhaps, or Watching a Miracle, or Watching Miracles. I had a whole bunch of other titles that came to my mind after I'd sent this to the to Ute for the bulletin. But Going Through a Miracle is just fine. Uh, but I want you to see that what God has shown me, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, part of what the perspective I had on this as God spoke to me reflects the very thought I gave you earlier about Joseph's view while in prison of what's wrong. Um, but we'll get to that. Hopefully you'll see that. But I want you to follow along with me. Just a very simple outline I'm going to give you this morning on the screen. Uh, but I want us to read through this passage again together. You may remain seated as we're going to read verse beginning in verse 45. And, and really, I'm going to back up to verse 44 for one second, just to kind of give you the context of what's taking place. And that is the fact that they just got done being feeding the 5,000 or the 22,500. Uh, but 5,000 is written there. I just add the children and the women in and give you an estimate. But that's just my mind. Anyway, going through a miracle, the miracle of the commonly known as Jesus and sending them into the storm after the 5,000. And the storm that they went through, we often equate with the storms of life. And so I want you to see some keys to living life. That could have been the title for the message. But let's begin in verse 6 and verse 44. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto the Seda while he sent away the people. Now, understand before I read any more that this same account is written in John and in Matthew, and there's a few other details that are given in John and in Matthew. I want you to see one. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 6, I didn't write down the, uh, yes, John chapter 6, it says, when therefore proceed Jesus, he sent them away. Why? Well, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and to make him a king, verse 15, he departed again unto a mountain himself alone. And so he sent them away because what the people were going, the people, the 5,000 were going to do. Let's continue reading back in Mark, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Same story. And when even or evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. 
But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit or a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts was hard for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of the Genesaret and drew to the shore. And when they came out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick. And they and they heard he where they heard he was, and whithersoever he entered into villages and of cities and the country. They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch, if it were but the, but the border of the garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Let's pray again. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through this account of the storm and the sea. And Father, what you did and the miracles that you showed. And Father, that you would show us a new perspective in our life and that we would view life as you view our life. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's, there's a couple of keys to life I want to give you. And, and, and one of those keys is not part of this message, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. The key to life is Christ. Amen? Somebody better say amen. The key to life is Christ. In other words, first, accepting the gift of eternal life that was given by Jesus dying on the cross and paying the price for sin. If we don't take that key to life, go through that doorway, then nothing else matters. You've got to get through the first doorway. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter how else you live life. You can be spectacularly rich and famous and do well and happy and joy and all kinds of things. But if you don't walk through the door of Jesus Christ into eternal life, Bible says you've lost. And God says, and true, you have lost everything. What have you gained? Nothing. So the second key comes after you walk through that door of eternal life or of the gift of salvation. And then therefore as a Christian, it's a, the key is obedience and faith in life. He is Lord and master of your life, but following him as Lord and master, making or being a disciple and serving him, freely following him, uh, that's the key after you're saved. And part of that key, or how to accomplish that, is perspective in life. How you view life. How you view the living of life. How you view the circumstances of life. You know, the Christian life is a life of freedom, because we have been set free Free for the penalty of sin, a forever home in heaven one day with God. Free from the bondage of sin. Free to live, love, serve, have fellowship with God in this life. So we're, we're set free in more than one way. Yes, free from death and separation from God, most importantly. But as we live life, we can enjoy life. We can live for Him in life. We're free to do that. We're free to have peace and happiness and all the things that make life 
enjoyable, if you will, as we follow Him, as we serve Him, having fellowship with Him, as He created mankind to do in the very beginning with Adam and Eve before sin ever came. Now, obviously, we have sin that we still deal with, but we can still have fellowship with Him. In the Christian life, the Bible tells us the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. Love your brothers, your sisters in Christ, but also love the stranger, love the lost person, love the unbeliever. And so, therefore, those are the two greatest things. But how do we do that? That's what I want to talk about from this passage. Because the Bible also tells us, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when the world tries to torture or torment or penalize you. Don't be surprised when they try to persecute you, even kill some of you. Don't be surprised. And don't be surprised when you go through all kinds of difficult circumstances. And we talk a lot about this. The Christian life is not a life of everything is just hunky-dory, peaches and cream, pie in the sky. It's just not. But how do we live the Christian life despite the fact that we go through trials and tribulations, persecutions and hardships? How do we live the life when the Bible also says that we have this hatred and opposition towards us, we have these perceived hardships and heartaches and difficulties, but the Bible says to live your Christian life in a specific way because Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings or complaining and arguing that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, live your life in such a way that the world says, man, that is, how do they do it? How do we do that when we go through hardships just like anybody else does? Difficulties, depressions, discouragement. How? How do we claim what God has promised for us to live without complaining and arguing and bickering and moaning and to have joy and peace and harmony, how do we do it? The key to that is our perspective. And I want you to see that here in this passage. The key is our perspective. There are basically two perspectives you can have in life. One is that life is a series of happenstance. It's a series of chaotic experiences and that nobody is in control. Right? I mean, there's some people that just say, hey, just whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. There's been songs famously written about this. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're going to have to battle hurdles and mountains and valleys and storms. That's one way of viewing life. People are out to get us. Things are not going to go our way. Nothing you can do about it. There is another view. Some, well, I'll come back to that. Let me come to that. The first view is this, and I want you to look again at this passage and see how the disciples might have looked at it in that way. 
in that way. But I want you to see that the first one that I want you to see here is that the key to living life is perspective, but it's life is chaotic happenstance. And I really wanted to put not in there. And I want you to understand that I wanted to make that kind of like cross out. But I didn't make it do that. But life is chaotic happenstance. That's one way of viewing it. But it's not this. But the disciples could have looked at it, and you and I might look at it and say, that's how I view life. Now, here's the thing. They, first of all, I want you to see, okay, so now, life is chaotic happenstance. The disciples might say, why did Jesus send us away? Here we are on a fantastic mountaintop. We just saw a miracle done. These people were fed. 5,000 plus people were fed from five loaves and two fish. And it was amazing. And then they're all celebrating. and They're all rejoicing. And people are getting all kinds of excited. And God says, hey, you 12, get out of here. Go get in your boat. Go to the other side of the sea. What? God, this is amazing. A revival is about to break out. This is incredible. This is what we might say. God, you are really at work. I want to be a part of this. And God says, no, get out of here. Go away. And we might say, God, what are you doing? God, why can't I be part of this? I'm on this mountaintop, and now you're going to put me to, to work. God, I've been serving you all day. God, we were tired when we got here. All right, the disciples would be saying, God, we were, you had said, come apart for a while and rest. And while we were resting or trying to rest, all of a sudden people showed up. And then you said, feed them. And we fed them. And we served all day long and we're tired. And now it's late afternoon. And God, we don't want to get in a boat and paddle to the other side. God, I want to be part of what's going on here. God, what are you doing? Right? Sometimes we look at God and we talk to God and we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen now? God, I was serving you. God, I was, I was uh, ministering for you. God, I was going to church and I was faithful. I was reading my Bible and now this and this and this. God, why? Maybe even not only that, but... Jesus, you were close. Jesus, you were working in my life. And now you've sent me away and I'm alone. The disciples were by themselves, or so they thought they were, in the boat. Jesus went to a mountaintop. They were by themselves. And we might say, God, why have you left me alone? Not only that, but they went into, there came up a big storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee is really what it is. Oftentimes it's known, famously known, even to this day, of storms coming up suddenly. And that's what happened here. And here they're paddling out, or they're going across the other side, and they get caught in a storm. And can we, for example, put ourselves in their place and say, Jesus, not only were we in the middle of a revival here, not only were we in the middle of a great miracle here, not only were we in the middle of being used by you in a fantastic way, but you sent us away, and now I'm in the middle of a trouble where I think we're going to drown. We are in trouble here. Notice they've been paddling from afternoon. If you read down a little bit, it says until the fourth watch. That means between 3 and 6 a.m. 
They've been on that lake for possibly as long as 12 hours trying to go six miles. That's how far it was from Bethsaida where they were unto Genesaret where they were going, about six miles. They had spent possibly as much as 12 hours trying to get across there, rowing against the storm. And while the disciples and people in that day would not paddle out or would not sail or paddle either way out into the middle of the lake, they would go along the shoreline, stay in the shallower water. But now they're in the middle of the sea. God, you sent me out not just on the fringe of trouble, but now I'm right in the middle of trouble. God, what are you doing? God, why am I having to go through this trial, this hardship, this difficulty? in the middle of this storm. And then on top of that, there comes a what they think is a ghost walking on the water. Now, understand, and, and I know that you've heard learned this before, or hopefully you've heard this before, the culture of that day believed, in, in, in Jewish culture, not just Jewish culture, but believed that sea monsters, ghost spirits, lived under the water. That's why they stayed typically along the shoreline. It was, it, it was whatever you want to call it, it was not true, but that's what they believed. And so now they're out in the middle, and all of a sudden there's a ghost walking on the water and scares them to death. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. If you were out on the water, and I don't care whether you got a motorboat or whether you got a sailboat or whether you're paddling a canoe or a kayak, and all of a sudden you went from being along the shoreline to being out in the middle of the water, and you went from there being sunshine to a few clouds, and now you got storm and wind, and you've been trying to get to shore ever since, and now you see a ghost, you might be a little freaked out. Or what you think is a ghost. Like, God, what? And my point is this, there are all kinds of trials and tribulations they're going through, all kinds of difficulties and emotions that they are going through, and it's chaotic happenstance happening to them. The same story, not here in Mark, but we also learn that Peter walked on water. You remember that? Peter walks out to him. That's the same story, just not... This is Peter's gospel. Remember we talked about that? And so apparently Peter didn't want to sound like he was bragging or God didn't, you know, in, in, in his inspiration didn't have him write about that. But Peter walked out to him on water and says, oh, the Lord says it's I. And Peter says, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come out to you on the water. And Peter does. And so Peter did that. But then when Peter gets out there, he sinks. Not only is the ship sinking, but now Peter's sinking. Can you imagine how upset the people would have been, his friends, his fellow disciples would have been, when here they are battling against a storm, trying to stay alive, trying to keep the water out of the boat, trying to keep from capsizing. And then they see a ghost, and they're freaking out, and they're paddling all the more. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, it's I. And I said, well, what's going on? I can't hardly see him. And Peter says, if it's you, call me out. And they said, Peter, what are you doing? We're trying to get to shore, and now you're throwing yourself out of the, out of the boat? And Peter begins to walk on the water, but then he begins to sink. And now they got a sinking boat, and you got a sinking Peter. Doesn't that sound like life sometimes? When it rains, it pours. It's not one thing, it's your mother. I mean, it's another, right? And then they get to the other side. So Jesus comes in the boat, 
The storm stops. They get to the other side. Peter saved. The boat saved. They get to the other side. And then there's more people. It is one thing after another. And if we're not careful, that's how we view life. In fact, that's why we have the expression, when it rains, it pours. It's one thing after another. That's why we use those phrases. And we can look at life and say, man, it is just a bunch of chaotic happenstance, and there's nothing we can do about it. We just got to face what we got to face. Or, there's a second way of looking at it. Life is a sovereign plan, and God is in complete control. Life is a sovereign plan, and God is in complete control. Now, I started to say that some people think there's a third option, and that's that, well, God's in charge of some things, but not some other things. Like, but in other words, we say, Christians, yes, God is in complete control, and then somebody in our family gets cancer, or somebody dies, or a divorce takes place, or whatever it might be, a broken relationship, or a child that's away, away from going the opposite direction from where they should go. And we say, man, it's just, can't believe what's happening. It's just a bunch of chaos. And no, God's either in control or he's not. He said, don't, can't people rebel against? Well, they can, but God's still in control. Saying that God is only partially in control, is kind of like saying the Bible is only partially true. Saying that God is only partially in control is like saying that God can only save some people. Either he can save everybody, either he's completely in control, either it's all true or it's all a lie, can't be both. So there's only really two ways of viewing life. Even though we act like sometimes, that sometimes we believe one and sometimes we believe the other. But life is a sovereign plan. We're not in control. We're not supposed to be in control. We're not to try to have control. We're to let God have control. Because he is in control. And here's the thing that I want you to see in this message, is, and, I, and again, is what if we view the course of our life differently? Not as a series of ups and downs, not as a series of trials and tribulations, not as a series of storms of life, but instead of viewing it that way, viewing it as God views it from His perspective. And when I say this to you, if we ever truly grab a hold of this, it will change your life. It will change how you view God in life. And that is the fact that God is completely in control. And it's not happenstance. It's not circumstance. It's not trials and tribulations. It's not hardships and difficulties and depression and discouragement. It is miracles in the making. Now, I was hoping that y'all would stand up and just, oh. I, I told Tracy, I said, when I, if people get as excited about this as I got as excited about this, they're going to stand up and I'm going to see Elaine and Jerry going, Whoop! I'm telling you, if you ever get a hold of this and start viewing life is not a bunch of trials and tribulations, but as a bunch of miracles in the making. In this passage, I see at least seven miracles taking place. You say, I want to see, I want God to work in my life. Here you go, buddy. Seven miracles. I want you to see, and by, and by the way, I say as God sees it, because God doesn't look at your life and say, oh my goodness, look what he's gotten himself into now. Oh, I didn't see that coming. 
I can't believe that's going on with Jonathan. No. Miracle. 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 It's all, I'm telling you, you want to be part of what God is doing? God is in the business of doing miracles just like he was here. Seven miracles. Look with me, if you will, and, and, and I've only got a few minutes left, and i got to go quick, but I want you to see this. You've got to see this. It's a sovereign plan. Number one, the key to, oh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Let me go ahead and give you these very quickly before I click the next screen. A miracle of direction. Guidance. Again, I had you read, or I read to you already about in John, so we won't go there again. But Jesus was protecting the disciples from getting caught up in the fervor. The people were saying, this guy can heal the sick and the wounded and, the, and raise the dead, and he can feed us. He would make a fantastic king. And so they were coming to make him king, and he knew that there were disciples, some more so than others, that would get totally caught up in that. And so he says, I'm going to direct you away from temptation and out of the way. It was a miracle. Because if he hadn't done it, Simon the Zealot, one of the disciples, he was a zealot for change and for against the politics of the day. He would have got caught up among others in the plot to, to cause an uprising. It wasn't time for that. Still not time for that yet. If it was, he'd have come back. It was a miracle of correction. We talk about storms of correction. I've often referred to them. i got to start referring to them as miracles of correction, of discipline. The disciples were going through the storm on the sea because it says right here, verse 52, they had not considered, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They missed the point of the miracle they had just been part of. So a miracle of direction, number one, miracle of correction, number two, their hearts were hardened, they obeyed, they served, they saw in the feeding of the 5,000, but they missed the point of the miracle. You know what it tells me? You and I can serve, we can be faithful to church, we can pray, we can read our Bibles, and still miss the point of what God is trying to do in our lives. They miss the point of who Jesus is and how he wants them to live, trusting him, taking it to him, relying on him. They miss that. Number three was a miracle of intercession. They thought Jesus had sent them out when they were tired and weary and couldn't do it anymore and it got them out of this revival they thought they were part of, but instead he was protecting them and directing them and teaching them a or going to teach them a lesson, but also he never left them alone. It says that when he sent them away, he went up to, um, up to a mountain to pray, and when evening was come, so late afternoon they get in the boat, evening's come, there he is, they are in the midst of the sea, and he was alone in the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. What do you think he was doing when he was in the mountain? Praying about what? Well, praying about lots of things. But one of the things he was doing was interceding for them. God, help, Father, help them learn what we're trying to teach them. 
And so my point is this, there's times that you feel like God has left you alone, but even when you feel like God has left you alone, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Father, help them. Spirit, guide them. Jesus never really left them. Jesus was watching over them. Sometimes you say, Jesus, are you even watching what's going on here? But he is. And Jesus was praying for them. But not only was it a, a third miracle, a miracle of intercession, but also it was a miracle of protection. So Jesus sees them. He knows what's going on. He knew what was going to happen. But he goes out and he begins to walk to them on the water to protect them. And of course, the miracle of protection is that he goes out to them, he, he gets in the boat with them, he calms the sea, he does all that, and he protects them. They survive. Only because Jesus showed up. And there are things in your life that God protects you from because God's hand is in your life. The only reason why you woke up this morning is because God's hand is in your life. It's the only reason that you're living right now is because God's hand is in your life. It's the only reason that we're safe in the church that we're in, because God's hand is in our life. Jesus begins to walk on the water, and it says beside them. Right? Here's the miracle. It's a miracle of protection, but it's, it's interesting because he walks in the water beside them. That was part of it. He's walking out to them, but he says he walks beside them. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But also, again, if I can, jump over to the other gospel where Peter goes out and walks on the water. It was a miracle of Peter being able to walk on water. They were afraid of what lies under the sea. Jesus was using the very thing they were afraid of as his own personal sidewalk. And not only because he's walking on top of their, of their fears, but here Peter now is walking on top of his fears. The miracle, not only of, not a miracle, not just of, of walking, coming out to them, not only because of walking on the water, but also of pulling Peter out of the water when Peter begins to sink. I know that's not right here in this passage, but that's what happens when, G when Peter sees the, the, the wind and the waves. He gets his eyes off Jesus and he sinks, and Jesus immediately calls up to Jesus and Jesus immediately pulls him out. Miracle. So five, if you or four, if you will, Jesus walked in the water to them. Five, the miracle of Peter walking in the water. Six, the miracle of uh, Peter out of the water. Actually, five, the miracle of Peter being pulled out of the water. Six is the miracle of him calming the storm because it says, verse 51, and he went up into them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed. And so therefore we see another miracle and so instead of seeing all these troubles, what if we saw the miracles that God was doing or the fact that he will do a miracle? We may not yet see how the miracle is going to work out. We're looking back and we're reading this, but what if we went through life living going, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I know that God does. And he's already working a miracle to see me through. Here it says that Jesus calmed the water, or calmed the storm, and then they made it to the other side. If you read in John, it says that when Jesus got in the boat, 
They were immediately on the other side. Doesn't say whether he calmed the storm or not. They were exactly where they needed to be. We're going to come back to that because i got just a few more things to say and then we're done. But understand that what if we viewed life as a series of miracles and not a series of problems? Perspective. So, well, how do I have the proper perspective? I mean, I mean, how do I have that perspective? Number one, don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss that God is doing something. Just because life gets hard doesn't mean that God is not in control. Life got hard for the disciples. Doesn't mean that God wasn't perfectly in control. He proved that He was. He calmed the sea. He saved Peter. He fed the 5,000. Just because you haven't seen the answers to your prayers that you've been praying yet doesn't mean that God is not at work right now in that need, in your situation. God doesn't always answer the way we want Him to, but I promise you, He's at work in each and every situation according to His will. God doesn't always show up exactly when we think He should, but He always shows up exactly when He means to. Jesus waited until the disciples were completely out of options before He said, just bring me what you got and I'll take care of the rest. Jesus waited until they were about to sink before He walked out to them on the water. Waited until they had no choice but to turn to Him. Waited until they had exhausted their strength. Because that's most often when we say, God, help me. Number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. When Jesus was out of sight, that's when they had their troubles and their fears and their problems. When our focus is on other circumstances, that's when we begin to sink. But when Peter, when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. But when his eyes were on Jesus, he walked on the water. Third thing, and I'm, and I'm, I'm done except for one closing illustration, is make sure that Jesus is in your boat. If you want to have the proper perspective, get Jesus in your boat. It's, I told you earlier, it's, why did Jesus walk beside them as if He would have passed them by, verse 48? Because Jesus goes with us even when we're on the run from Him. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But Jesus does not force Himself into your life, even as a Christian. He does things to get your attention. He does things to say you're going the wrong way. He does things to say, hey, I'm over here. He does things to say, hey, I'm talking to you. Listen to me. But he doesn't force himself into your boat of your life. So he's walking beside them. I've already been watching you. I've already been interceding for you. I'm walking here. But now when you notice me and you call me, invite me to get in the boat, now I'll come in and I'll take the wheel. That song, Jesus, take the wheel. I like to sing, Jesus, don't let me... Take the wheel. You just hold on to it. When Jesus is in your boat, the seas of life are manageable. 
Doesn't mean you're not going to have storms. Doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. Like I said, in John, it says, it doesn't say anything about the wind, the waves stopping. It just simply says they were exactly where they need to be. And that's the point. When Jesus captains your life, it doesn't matter where you are. You're exactly where you need to be. So what if we viewed life as a series of miracles instead of a series of problems? You know, without a Red Sea or a flooded Jordan, there could have been no parting of the waters. Without a Jericho, there would be no city walls that miraculously came falling down. Without the Midianite army, there would be no Gideon and his band of 300. Without Goliath, there would be no David and his sling. Without a lion's den, there would be no lion's mouth to be shut by angels. Without a fiery furnace, there would have been no fourth man in the fire and no smell or harm come to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Without a stormy sea, there could be no calming. Without a problem, there could be no answer. Without a cross, there could be no salvation. Without an end of earthly life, there can be no eternity in heaven. What if we viewed the, what if we viewed the course of life differently? Not a series of ups and downs. Not a series of trials and tribulations. Not a series of, of storms of life. But instead, as God views it, a series of miracles in the making. Oh, it will change your life. The way you view life, it would change the way you live life. And it will certainly change the way you view God. Oh, my friends, how will you perceive the course of your life? Bible says don't moan and groan. Bible says rejoice evermore. Bible says love your neighbor and love God. How do we do that? By viewing it as he does. By viewing others as he does. By having his perspective and not our own. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, help me. There's so many times I get my eyes off of you. There's so many times that I view the troubles and the trials. But God, let me be like Joseph. Let me be in the midst of the trials and tribulations for years on end and still look at others and just be like, what's, what's wrong? God is in control. Father, help me make sure that you're in my life, in my boat, at the wheel. Help us all. Day by day, moment by, by, mo moment, by moment, to keep our eyes on you and allow you to change our perspective as you lead us and guide us and protect us and correct us and intercede for us until you've called us home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, 
we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you. Till I cross